Norway, oh my god, get your act together. I'm sorry for all Norwegians that you have to live this way in your lives. I can't, I can't even. It's a matter of fact, Henrik. Welcome to the Flick Club. <laughs> How are you, Henrik? Well, I'm fine, all things considered. Yeah. Well, it just turns out that we're going to talk about the worst person in the world. Which is not neither one of us. No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank God for that. The time of miracles is not yet over. But is it a Danish or is it a Norwegian film? I, know. <laughs> I understand that it's... Uh, it's actually shot in Norway and it's a Norwegian film. So it's kind of a collaboration in production. French, Danish and Norwegian money has been used to, to make it, at least. Yeah, I, it's kind of a mess to, to figure out exactly how the production has been split in this one. This very much is, is a Norwegian movie where money is also coming in from from well at least in distribution wise from memento distribution which is a french-based company and triart film which is from sweden if i remember correctly so it's kind of like hard to say exactly who gets the ownership to the worst person yeah so let's just say it's a nordic film and it's the it's the last film that we're going to discuss regarding the oscar nominees for the best international picture yeah, we actually, like, in, in last week, in, in the previous episode, it, it, we were kind of hesitant on the whole question, do we even manage to see this film? Because it, it was not circulating in anywhere, the worst person. That was kind of running theme with the best foreign picks this year, that most of them were movies that were not in circulation, even though they were nominated for, for the Oscar. And then all of a sudden, these thing, things just finally crept up and like, like Drive My Car ended up in, in some streaming service and it, it got theatrical release. Now the worst person has a theatrical release. So we were able to, to see that the final, the fifth out of five movies, kind of in the last minute. Just so that we hastily managed to get this done before, you know, b before the ceremonies. Yeah, gosh, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, quite the interesting release schedule for, for these movies on streaming and theatrical. So in Finland, this uh, movie came out on 18th of March. Thankfully, Drive My Car, which also premiered on 18th of March, it became to streaming services before that. So we were able to talk about it a little bit before that but my god i mean they could make it a little bit easier for us to watch these films uh maybe next year with a better attempt guys yeah you would think that there would be a heavy push on the distribution end for these movies seeing how they are now being nominated and there is all this free publicity for these movies but no no okay uh worst person in the world starring renate Reinsve, I believe you pronounced his name. 
who already got the Best Actress Prize at Cannes for her performance. I will have some thoughts on that. <laughs> well, well, it's it's the best performance, and I would say the best thing in in today's film. Yeah, why why is this film not working? Well, well, first, can we talk about uh, Henry? Can we talk about the fact that this has been written by two males who written a story about a indecisive woman who keeps jumping from one relationship to the next? Hey, what could go wrong? <laughs> well, well, absolutely nothing. It's like one of the five best films to come out worldwide this year. What does this film want to say, Henrik? That that life life <laughs> is a collection a, of a, events. That that's that's a really good question because it's just a collection of events. It it wants to well well fuck it. Let's let's, let's just voice it go. out in, in, in the beginning. Uh the first person in the world is a film that wants to say a hell of a lot about Basically about everything, or at least give you the impression that it's saying it, it's talking about everything societal. It wants to come out as as a societal topics the movie, but at the end of a day, what it ends up saying or what it manages to say, it does not really amount to that much. It's it's something something freedom of speech versus societal consciousness and uh, something something you are a free individual that's basically where where the the message at the end of a day kind of boils down to yeah what message the, the, the message that i got from it on the first go is that well you had a lot of relationship you had a lot of chances in life and you ruined every single one of them will he, will she feel regret what will be her next step? Did she learn from her mistakes? Where is this? Where is this going? It's going absolutely nowhere. It's like real life, really, very much in the sense that there is no story to tell. It's just random. There's no beginning, middle, and an end. Yeah, I took it that the core theme here in in first person is is this notion of kind of female freedom versus the societal expectations that are mostly put on on the members of of the female gender no 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 Eric. this is it's a, it's just a misrepresentation of of the female and the sex and how you should behave in a society and it's a matter of fact henrik <laughs> <laughs> well fuck it if that's the road we are taking <laughs> hold on a moment okay Okay, I'm ready. Let's talk about Norwegian empowerment cinema. Yeah, Henrik, it, it's so sexual. You you see penises, you see fucking, and you see adultery. You you see hopping from relationship to another. This is a big no-no. This is not what you're supposed to do. And now I'm hearing that many people are saying that how how much they can feel empathy and kind of relate to this movie, where we have a movie a person who just. It's literally kind of the worst person in the world. Doesn't care about anyone's feelings and just keeps relationship hopping. What is this? No. Well, actually, that's the one side I can kind of side with or agree with. I can actually see 
kind of see the the why so many people feel so strongly connected to the movie and its main character Julie. Like all all that you said about the the relationship hopping and having sex with with different persons, being being absolutely indecisive in well every aspect of of her life. All of those are true, but none of those things are necessarily negative. Like this is where I would say that the film's point of of female freedom kind of shines the strongest. We we do have the the idea that you you meet up meet up a person and then you settle down with the person and have kids. Well, now speaking of a heteronormative relationship, etc., 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 and your life kind of just goes. It it flows the typical way yeah, and yeah. forms the typical narrative. But, but, but let's be realistic, Henrik. Th- that's the function of a woman. <laughs> no, but serious. Oh. <laughs> See, that's the spirit of matriarchy getting back at you. No, but Henrik, I mean, what does what does a woman do if? I mean, what, what's the position of a? You have to have somebody who goes to work and somebody who takes care of the children and the home. And in this case, it would be a woman taking over the apartment. It's, it's a full day job, really, to 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 take care of the home. That's the reason why people break up nowadays because nobody's getting, taking care of their home anymore. There has to be somebody, and they don't have any money to pay to somebody to take care of it. I see a real conflict there. <laughs> and this movie is uh, supporting this perversion of the modern society. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, man. Like, I, I too would hate to put, put money into actually buying a dishwasher instead of just, you know, getting a girlfriend and having her do, do all the cleaning. Mm. But like, like I said, like I said, this is a movie for the modern sensibilities. Yeah, but you, you, you shouldn't market outright this kind of behavior. It's so immoral. It's it's bad for the society as a whole. Norway is su- such a corrupted country, like all the other. Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Finland—they are all corrupted, and should fix their ways. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's so hard because you know the the global Jewish conspiracy behind all of this this SJW bullshit. It's so strong. Like, well, it's not just a deep state. We are kind of fighting against the global version of the deep state. I'm going to fight to head and toe against this kind of behavior. <laughs> well, well, you ca- kind of can't. You kind of can't because now they have managed to weaponize a common flu in the form of coronavirus. So they just got an even more str- uh, tighter iron grip over the, o- over the, well, basically the entire world. I, I swear to God, our listeners will listen only the first 15 minutes of, of today's episode. They will hear this part and they will think think that we are abs- being absolutely serious at the moment. But Henrik, I'm really serious about this. About what? We don't need washers. Just a moment, I spilled my beer. And and second, what well, uh, to change gears, we can talk about tonight's director. Yeah, he's uh, quite an established, known already for several films such as uh, Dancer in the Dark, uh, The Idiots, Breaking the Waves, Europa, Antichrist. Oh, great films, by the way. Yeah, so, uh, The Idiots, have you seen it before, Henrik? No, no, I haven't. I really don't watch French movies that much. Uh, oh, uh, was it was it the French? Oh, let me check really quickly. Uh, what? 
Oh, so fuck, it's a Lars von Trier film. Uh, this is jo- Joachim Trier. Oh, fuck. Um, well, the director, uh, anyway, very, very established, and we're happy to talk about Yeah, yeah, him. makes makes films and, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, this, this re- movie reminds me of the film Cosmic Testicles, <laughs> where they also had close-ups on intimate parts and this kind of a... Uh, dual dualistic trauma with uh with a mix of very very fancy worded discussions on the universe and its meaning and uh i think this this main guy who is the target of the law of at least 80 percent of the way i think he could hold very erudite discussions but the lady just shrugs it off like yeah I, I just want something more simple i want my coffee every day with the series yeah and and speaking of cosmic testicles at least that film had like proper societal roles and not this like this flip-flop stuff that you have in worst person yeah so just to make it easier to, to simplify that was the great thing about cosmic that it didn't beat around the bush it didn't have all these complicated societal <laughs> complications just just get to the point and uh, yeah i mean produce babies yeah because at the end of a day like what movies are like what they really are they they are they are way to to share ideas and viewpoints and they can have like this educational effect because of this like you you express this complex train of thought and you put it in in form of of images and sound that work together and you, and through this media you present your idea to the next person who very much thanks to because the image and the sound play off from each other is more kind of a easier for for that person then to you know take your viewpoint to his heart and actually learn something from it and it's because of this that i do actually share share your idea that movies should put heavier emphasis on kind of the idea, the word point of view that they want to to present to others. So there's kind of a responsibility. Like what should you say through your movie to the world at large and to the audiences? What are the ideas that you want you should pass forward? Yeah. And Cosmic Testicles does that right. And the worst person in the world has like the worst ideas in the world. And the ideas that are taken in the worst person in the world are just really shoved down the throat, like literally. So I think, yeah, that, yeah, this I, is... I, 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 I've been saying this for quite some time that seriously, seriously, especially Hollywood, but apparently the rest of the world also should finally just like, you know, stop putting politics in movies. Right. Have you seen the interv- interviews with the, when they are touring? Uh, Trier and, and Anders and Renate, when they're together, they oof, they seem so offensively in, intellectual. I, I mean, they really are trying to market that that, that Norwegian and Scandinavian uh, intelligence so much that it's kind of on the off-putting level. You look at the interviewer and he's like, mm, yeah, yeah. But they don't really even understand what they're saying. Like, God damn, stop being so intellectual. Just speak in the normal language life is not so complicated three shits three meals and go back to bed but this folks intellectualism basically is is precisely what what today's social movements are all about they're not really 
presenting any fixes to anything. They are not making anybody's life better, but it's a it's a one framework through which you can actually like pretend that you are somehow intellectual. Yeah, precisely, which is exactly what's happening here, Henrik. There are so many ideas that the director just wants to show to us, but then what to do with them is kind of another story. Yeah, it's a corruption at uh, full display and and so sexual and so uh, irresponsible. Think about the feelings of all of these characters that have to go through this. And I mean, if he she would have just uh, stuck with the first relationship, uh, she could have been really happy with, with this guy. Well, until the cancer stage, of course. But Yeah, but you know, screw the characters. Think about the feelings of all the me- men in the audience who have to see through this film. Yeah, and the institution of a marriage is at real test here. Well, what, what, what kind of a person is this? What are you looking to achieve in life? And it's exactly like, like the, the men say, like, are, are, you, are you serious? Are you sure? No, she's never, never sure. She's just kind of like going from one thing to the next, whatever floats her boat that day. And that is kind of wrong as well. You can't depict females in this way. But what you see in, in the character of, of Julie, like you said, uh, she's someone who is, who is constantly afloat, is, is unsure, does not actually know what she wants and just, just acts, just do things. And what what you see in all of that, especially through the marriage aspect and and the whole motherhood aspect that she so strongly is opposes throughout the film, you actually see the separation between the state and the church, or the church and the individual. Like Julie, very much in the, in the film, she's being presented as someone who is scientific, studies like two highly scientific fields. In, in university, Absolutely. can't really finish either degree, it just switches from, from medicine to, to psychology, but both both are scientific fields. And with scientific fields, what, what you have is the abandonment of, of the church, of the spiritual, because these days, very much the scientific communities, they, they just want to like have this separation from the church and from God. That's also kind of the Norwegian situation here, Norway being a Christian country. And now you have like this, this modern woman main character who is, who is this science, science, social something stuff. And she doesn't even go to church, not once in this time, uh, film. She does not pray, has, has no cross, has, has nothing. So very much like a person who is science is, is not God. And then you actually, throughout the film, you actually see the absolute disaster that that ends up being. Her not being able to find a way, her not being able to find her place in society, and just constantly being like, shifting from relationship to another. This is what happens when you sell your soul to the devil and join NATO. Precisely. You just inherit these corrupted ideas. Let's take another one. And it's also gonna suggesting that once she becomes a photographer, she is selling her her soul to the not tangible, the the unimportant education, the unimportant the unimportant tasks, the unimportant job in this life. And once she becomes kind of promiscuous and goes with this other guy, 
to the kind of a hilltop, what they see from the hilltop is a Radisson Sass Hotel. So Naro suggested that they should have sex immediately and destroy everything that's left in the current relationship, which he should have bound to. And spe- speaking of selling, selling souls, it's not just her soul that she's sell- selling. Because one kind of old belief in these non-hygienic pagan cultures and beliefs has been that the act of photography, taking a picture of of somebody, also kind of robs that person of of his soul. So by being a photographer, Julie here throughout the movie gets the chance to photograph a whole lot of, well, surprise, surprise, this being modern film, men whose souls she then can can steal through that through the through her photographs and as she's selling her soul she's also selling the, those stolen souls of the innocent men yeah it, it's it's also the, the the way that the film is shot it's shot very well which is kind of um, reflecting on the character of hers and then kind of giving you the idea of all of this promiscuous things that she could go and threw around the town, uh, especially the kind of stop motion thing, which was done 100% in CGI, I, I believe. And there's this one shot where she puts the uh, hand of the hand of the guy on the, on the girl's ass, even though they're in, in stopped in time, going through in her head what she really wants, which is another penis. So this kind of a sexual overdrive that is going on during the sequence, and then putting the, the hand on the ass, with this beautiful cinema cinematography it's all all coming back to the lady that the lady wants a new relationship and that that is a very deep sim- symbolism in the film i thought that was not really touching it was uh, disgusting and reminds me of the of the spanish guys who are always touching their girlfriends as asses as as we saw in in the hand of god oh no wait that was italian film yeah what that was the reference the the hand of God, where is the hand of God? Well, it's touching her ass. I didn't think of it that way. So she's able to stop the the passage of time. What what do you think about that little plot twist? I mean, it was kind of realistic, unfortunately. Uh, This is the true depiction of Norwegian lifestyle nowadays, I'm afraid. But what do you think about her superpowers of uh, stopping the time? Well, those... Obviously, were the gift from Satan for, for her act of selling all those souls. It's it's good to know that I'm a, I will be a responsible husband no matter what happens. I'm not gonna contribute into this kind of lifestyle. <laughs> but so, given that um, this is uh, happening in in a in a Nordic city, in the in the city of Stockholm for the most most part, I thought. They must have used some CGI because I I didn't see any of those breaches that you have when you when you go with the Viking line with the huge cruise cruise ship. Everybody knows that there's a lot of breaches in Stockholm. I didn't see any evidence of that, and I've heard that that the director uh, likes to mainly shoot the films in his homeland because he's uh, terrified of flying. He has a lot of phobias, so this must be some kind of an editing trickery. Not not just trickery on on the landscapes and you know the bridges not being there, but you also do notice that another thing that's been completely removed from the film, most likely through editing trickery and CGI, is all the immigrant-based crime in Stockholm. Oh yeah, 
and they were able to 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 have all of these people contributing to the CGI scene of of stop motion, and you don't see any foreigners there. I'm just asking, how is that possible? Well, through heavy usage of of CGI. Let's face it, Stockholm basically is a war zone these days. It's it's hell. It's it's a worse place than, than Ukraine at the moment, thanks to thanks to all the immigrants. And they have been kind of able to. I I I I would guess that the way they, how they have done this is that they have gone to the the photo archives of the Stockholm from something from nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties before the immigrants came, and they taken like like those those images. And then at at post edit, they they have had the sh- the footage of of the ruined buildings, and they have just taken like like the images. They have to kind of, kind of like mapped the images and stretched them on top of the the actual film material. This way, kind of creating the illusion that the buildings are still in, intact. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. But but given that uh, most of the film is shot in Luleå, I, I was kind of con- confused that we we don't see any of those those high landscapes also in the shots there should be some kind of a oh well yeah they are on the on the on the high high mountain type of thing that the high hill looking at the hotel that's probably the shot where they used Luleå. then again then again it also bears to remember that the, the whole idea of a of a huge landscape shot of a hotel existing on top of a hill on a mountain range is Basically stolen one to one from from Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. That actually does the exact same imagery with the Overlook Hotel. Oh, and I just heard from the interview of the director that their kind of main goal or big goal is in these films that they are not going to put any references to any other films. They're just going to do wholly their own thing. Oh, well, here we go. That much of our own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that lasted for a long time. Right, but um, then what about what about the what about the, the the film's failure to to explain what it's really about? Because from what I heard, this is uh, uh, obviously some female fantasy, but the the female fantasy was at some point given to these two writers of the film who must have gotten a little bit aroused about the story and thought, hey, hey, this is a great movie to to make and. I mean, it's it's so irresponsible. This is like the, the this is like inverse version of a male fantasy put on film. This is like a sexual attack, but on on the other side. This is actually a clear cut example of one of the biggest mistakes that you can make as a as a scriptwriter, as a storyteller, which is that you get this idea that the story you are telling really is a good story and something that is worth uh, worth telling yeah but what about the narrator then i mean we can already hear what she's saying so she's just saying everything on double i just couldn't quite grasp this this meaning of using a narrator if you already have the voice in the background like i i found going through my notes and trying to find answers what's going on on the screen but i couldn't find any information well i i guess i i guess the usage of narrator is like a symptom of of basically, the the writers losing their 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 faith on on their own work. Like they are now, they they first they start by trying to somehow be quote unquote renegade in their writing and having having all these these 
like modern ideas. But at the end of the day, when it comes to the way how the story is being or how the script has been written, they basically just all come back to the basic rules of script writing. Like, for example, the number one rule, tell, don't show. Right, right. Oh, what's the other one? I'm promoting the, the, the use of psychedelics in a film with no absolutely no consequences whatsoever. I haven't heard any outrage about this one. And it doesn't serve any narrative purpose. I mean, we all already have the... Well, okay, yeah, it's more of the promiscuous uh, play and, and being irres irresponsible and not respecting the elderly. I mean, if you're going to do shrooms, and there's a vast variety in the closest supermarket, why, why do you have to use drugs? Say no to drugs. We don't support drugs in this podcast. Let's make it clear. We're supporting the use of psychedelic mushrooms in this podcast. No, you don't need drugs if you have God in your life. And speaking of that, I think it's high time, Henrik, that we start skipping the films that include outright violence in the movies. I would like the Flick Lab from this moment onwards to completely abstain from all moving images that involve violence or sexual or promiscuity or that promotes this kind of uh, behavior that cannot be accepted, which can reignite some kind of traumatic memories in people. And it's irresponsible for the victims of people who have experienced violence in their life. For example, the, 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 this is kind of a bad thing that we don't have any foreign people in the film either, in the stoppage scene, because they should be there. This film is hiding all the victims of violence, like the Afghanistan refugees. Or the victims of Afghanistan refugees, which I guess was what you were trying to say. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. But yeah, I, I, cannot, I cannot go into this direction anymore. I, I've, I've seen too much violence. And given that we have now a war going on and the, the world is going haywire, I think we should completely stop with the violent movie, violent movies like uh, Hellraiser and all this kind of uh, torture porn. From now on, we could try to go with uh, Disney films and try to find something as non-violent as possible and as apolitical as possible for our next curriculum. Yeah, I mean, I'm most definitely I'm with you on on you know us doing apolitical films, and I am with you also on us banning violence from the freak lab just as 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 long as long as that does not outcount the passion of the christ because that's a clear cut example of a a a political film but also a film that uses violence for the artistic merit and it really is not even that violent but like i'm i'm like i i do i must maintain that we have to keep like the passion of the christ low level of violence in 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 the freak lab Outside of passion, I'm I'm like absolutely with you. Uh, we should ban violence from the free club. Yeah, thank you. I'm surprised that you are you are on the same same vein here, and I'm I'm really happy about that. I mean, Passion of the Christ. It's a different theme because it's uh, based on actual real life occurrences, real life history, kind of like the Pocahontas, the film from from Disney. So I'm really happy that we were able to do that episode at least and. Uh, I, I'm really sorry for our listeners for for all the past mistakes that we've promoted such violence. But uh, 
there's something to be learned from Disney's Pocahontas. What about the chapter structure of the worst person in the world? It's borrowing from literature, but not being literature. What, what does it want to say? That it's a book? Yeah, that was my take on it. That, that That's basically where, where the director's heart at the end of the day lies. Which is kind of fitting, seeing how the books, they are a superior form of storytelling. At least when you compare it to the to movies. I'm, I'm not so certain about video games, like it's very much a tie between books and video games, which are better for like forms for storytelling, but most definitely, yeah, books tri triumph movies. Yeah, but given, given that this is uh, depicting modern life in Norway, I'm sorry for all Norwegians that you have to live this way in your lives, but, but maybe this is a reference to the DVD player. I remember that if you put on the disc to a DVD player, it gives you different chapter selections. So maybe by the virtue of this having chapters, it's kind of like you're jumping ahead in the story, kind of like DVD chapters. You can just... Which actually makes this movie unfitting for for the theatrical presentation, because in movie theaters you can't skip and jump from one chapter to the next. You have to like look at them in one chronological order. So it's kind of like a, a movie for attention deficit people of the modern millennia. Mm -hmm. hmm. Gosh, we're so good at this. Well, we have been doing this thing now well, for three years, over yeah. three years. Yeah, about time to get it right. Yep. The director said that there's a lot of tonal shifts in the film. I, I do agree. And he was quoting Hitchcock, or at least paraphrasing, that if the audience is prepared and want to go with you to where you go, then they'll go anywhere with you. But I, I would say, again, this is very irresponsible. You can just, you know, you can, you can grab the audience, but um, you should be also responsible with your storytelling. That in the in the end, that the, the woman mill will have a happy ending where where she will marry one guy and have at least two kids and an apartment and a dog, cocker spaniel preferably. But at least in the frame of reference of the modern day Norway, at least to have some kind of a conclusion for the film that would have been to take the two guy characters and Renate's character, put them in the same room and have threesome. There's a happy ending for you. It actually would have been fi quite fitting for the movie, seeing how, well, during the shroom trip, you almost have a threesome on this film. So it would have been kind of a, like, once again, to get get into the rules of, of movie storytelling, you have the concept of setup se set and payoff. So that type of ending, it would have actually utilized this rule. During the sh shroom trip, you have the setup, and at the end, end you would then have had the payoff, which now obviously this movie does not have. Especially because this film is so much against monogamy and traditional values. Why not just then go all the way and make it a statement about polyamory? This is how we do it in the 2020s. You don't have to be responsible for anyone. You don't have to make any commitments to anyone. Just live your life, man. Enjoy it. Have a fun. Have shrooms. Well, the reason why I think that that ending does not end up uh, happen in in the film is is purely practical. Like as as already mentioned, this film was largely filmed in Ullaborg, most likely because due to, to you know ta tax deduction reasons. Mm -hmm. And Ullaborg as a 
as a municipal, it's it's kind of really stuck up in not the right values. So I do believe that it's the, it's the decision on the shooting location that they actually couldn't end the film with a threesome. But then why use stock footage of Soviet Russia in the beginning of the film and then frame it with the ending of having cancer kind of illustrating the, the, the breakup of, of Soviet Russia? I, I believe that what they're trying to hint is the possibility that these characters are in Soviet Russia. Like, obviously, it, it does not look like that, largely thanks to lackluster cinematography and bad directing, but I, I do believe that, like, at, at least in, in the original script versions, it was written so that this story takes place in Soviet Russia. And after the credits, you see the, the breakup of the Soviet Union. And I, I just kept thinking, is this the rebirth? Is this the rebirth? Is this the restart of values? Or it's kind of going to these modern values after the breakup of Russia? It's, this is too, nah, too there, there, there's, there's too many actually, ideas. There's, there's nothing to be read upon, you know, the, the after the credit sequence. It's it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing except, you know, just setting up this, this next next the next sequel so that you can start build up your own cinematic universe once again like this is the the birthplace this is the first film on the orbu cinematic universe no but uh, henrik the, the, i thought it was happening in ulebori uh, no? no 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 that the film is is shot in ulebori and it ties into the orbu cinematic universe but where the film is actually taking place uh, like in in story location, it's Minsk, but shot entirely in studio as well. Uh, how does that work? Well, if you are shooting in Ulaanbaatar, well, where the hell would you be shooting except in studio? Like, have you seen the streets there? Good point. I haven't visited, but I believe you. <laughs> yeah, never, never do, never do. Norway. Oh my God, get your act together. I, I can't. I can't even. I can't even, Henrik. <laughs> But yeah, would it be the quickies? Well, why not? I can't believe that there's anything more to say about this film. Yeah. Except that, ta-da! In case you didn't figure it out, we were kind of messing with you and wasting a very good episode to talk about nonsense about this film. But it's April Fool's, fool. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was all a joke, ha. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Worst podcast in the world, but Henry. Well, god damn it, this, this is into like like the uh, longest April Fool joke, joke that we have had on the podcast. That's true. The the day the clown cried episode was about two hours. Yeah, of of, of this here ridiculous I, bullshit. Here here here, I tried to see how long I can do the bullshit <laughs> without Henrik knowing that I'm just going into the bullshit direction, but. I actually completely forgot that, yeah, April Fool's is coming out <laughs> around once again. Yeah, there was one point in the episode where, yeah, Henrik was like, uh, where where are you going with this sarcasm? I'm not following you quite anymore. <laughs> right? So we just started to go with the joke together. Yep, which, which was easier said than done. This is not the easiest one to make a, make a joke about. It's not the easiest one to make a joke about because, at least on my end, uh, some of the, the grievances that, okay, I 
word voiced out in hyperbolically in, in just on our go in this very episode. But some of the grievances are actual problems that I actually do have with the film. And now we have to explain which ones were the. Yeah, good, <laughs> good luck with this. I, I, let's just say that I denounce everything that I have said so far. So let's just start from the scratch. What do you think about <laughs> the worst person in the world? Really? It's the second worst film of the Oscar picks that we have covered. Okay. It's I, I did not dislike the worst person as much as I disliked the hand of God. Whoa. But not a bloody fan. I do admit that I did get kind of emotional in some of the scenes but when it went on and uh, I tried to grasp what, what the director wants to tell us and uh, what is this movie then at the end I was kind of left empty-handed I, I understand what the director wants to wants to do here it's just a collection of random events once again uh, the beginning alive of of this girl who I don't think that there's anything wrong that there's two, two guy guy uh, screenwriters who made a story about uh, the girl well it just happens to be a girl and there's nothing wrong with it in my opinion i just think that what they did with this wasn't completely delivering somehow even though i really felt the performances i felt that they were great performances and actually i did enjoy her performance but there's a lot of ideas and i i think it just doesn't go anywhere and that's my problem also and it's because of this why I do, I have to stress out to our listeners, please, please listen to the, this, this second half of the episode, this, this serious rambling part also, because in the previous, oh, like, I understand we have already wasted an hour of our time, I'm sorry about it, but I do think that the second half is actually quite important because during the, the joke part, we were dangerously close dancing on the going into the cinema scene territory where we mix mix the jokey jokes and and the actual film criticism and our actual problems that we really do have with the film together into this mishmash where where the joke and and the real actual problems got kind of fused together and to avoid that effect i do think that the second half of our episode today is just so that you can actually get get the real grievances that we have. Because I'm actually 100% with you on, on that notion that the film kind of goes nowhere. Like you said, I too do think that the performances are strong here. Ex except, especially especially uh, Renates, who plays the, the main character, Julie. Mm. Extremely strong performance. Great acting. Great acting all together. Also like... Uh, uh, Hell of a lot. For example, Anders Danielsen Lai, who who is the comic book artist Axel in the movie. But outside of strong performances, I didn't actually feel that this movie had that much to to go on with it. Like like I said already in in the joke part of the episode, it's it's a movie that, in my opinion, it wants to be about all the societal issues and it kind of ends up being well uh, well not that much actually about anything like on on surface level yeah it's about societal issues it's it, it's a film that 
actually uses the words mansplain and womansplain and and has the tampoon on screen. So on the, on the surface level, yeah, there, there is going on this breaking of, of all of the social, social taboos and there is this deep social commentary going on. But when you actually start to look at what is being said, like what is the underlying message, it, in my opinion, pretty much just boils down into you know be free and don't worry like you are you if you feel like you are lost and you don't know what you want in life it's okay and i took that that was like like pretty much the only message message that the film really has and everything else all, all the social social issues the social political political aspects of the film they are basically just you know wallpapering yeah that's what I got from the film as well. Uh, if you don't know what you're looking for in the in life, that's okay because it happens to everyone of us. But I have to say, I I don't know if I was a, even though this is something that happens to many of us, the promiscuous side of things and uh, doubting yourself. If this was really the one guy out of all the billions of guys on planet Earth, should I go with this or should I? Try in my mind with some other guy. Should I actually go with some other guy? All all those questions. Yeah, but but then she goes forward with that and destroys the first relationship, sort of, and then realizes that it seems that she, they were you know, kind of the couple for each other. Uh, at least I kind of got that message. But the film also very intentionally leaves it sort of open-ended. You cannot read um, Renata's face intentionally fully you you cannot see what's what's going on in her head when she's visiting uh anders's character in the hospital it's kind of take what you want yep when you strip down the story from all its trappings and and you look at what is like what, what is the core story that the movie has to has to tell in the end it's it's a story about one woman figuring out if the if she really loves her then current boyfriend which here is the comic book artist axel and how this question of is axel right for me clashes with the societal role expectations that have been put on on julie as as we mentioned in in the jokey jokes part uh throughout the film julie has an X number of boyfriends. With with quick count, we have a, at least five different boyfriends. We have the one that she's dating when when she's a med student. Then there is the the one bald guy who she quickly dates when she's a photographer. Then there's mm-hmm. the, the the psychology professor. Then there's Axel. Then there is Abind. The I'm not happy with my hippie girlfriend, mm-hmm. dude. And it's a kind of a like jumping from one relationship to another. We with the underlying question, is Axel right for Julie? And in that moment you you have like the the society expects that that as a woman you, you find like the one guy and then you stick with him the rest of your life, you have kids, you have family, etc. 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 And by by this boyfriend hop, hopping, switching, Julie very much defies these expectations, and then her relationship with Axel is contrasted against her societal norm breaking with multiple boyfriends. 
that's about it. Like in, in its barest form, that's what you get story-wise here. There is no huge uh, character development. There is no any kind of a deep plot points or, or huge plot points. We At the very end of the film, we have the, the plot point of, well, Axel eventually dying from of cancer. Yeah. But but outside of that, we, we don't really we don't have a plot twist here. Nor do we have a character development. What we do have is basically just this one question. Like, is Axel right for me? And should I play with society's norms or should I repel against them with my own actions? It's kind of the kids question as well. When do you know when you're ready to to have kids? Who who does? When's the right moment? The movie jumps from one thing to the next. And many of these feelings that are depicted on screen are very relatable. And the acting is so strong, as you said as well. So it's kind of this uh, psychotic feel that, yeah, I like this so much on one level. But then I just can't kind of connect with it fully. Is Axel the the right guy for him? Uh, For her, I don't even know, really. And it's just tremendously sad. There's this one point when, when they're in the cafeteria or canteen and Axel's sick and, and she's asking if Axel really thought that she would be a great mother. And I thought that this is this kind of a revenge story emotionally that, okay, you, you had everything, girl, but you just fucked it up. But it's not even that. Just life goes on. Yeah. That, that's it. That's it. That's the, that's the movie. Life goes on and random things happen. And you learn from them, or you don't. And not just that life goes on, but life goes on as peachy as ever. That's my, perhaps, biggest like misgiving with the movie. Like, biggest problem. That yeah. there is no consequences yeah. to any of these actions. Basically, the, the life around Julie just works itself out with minimum input from Julie herself. You know what would have been kind of nice would have been to see at the end of the, the the movie where we could literally see that that Julie would have learned something from these experiences. I don't mean to say that okay now you have to have a husband, wife, a, a husband, a kid, and a dog and everything else that you usually might do in a traditional sense. But this is some some kind of a consequence of all these experiences, or at least. It- like if if consequence really would have been too much to ask from from Norway, well, at least some type of a like strong emotional response to some of these things. Well, emotional growth in in a, in, a, in a bigger level that Julie has in the movie. Like take the kid or the child as a as a prime example, and this is the moment. Uh, extremely heavy spoilers. Mm. So in the course of the film, Julie gets pregnant. And that kind of correlates with the previous question that the movie has had in its beginning, which is Julie being unsure if she's fit for for being a mother and if she even wants kids. Kids. Uh, Axel, like when she starts to date with Axel, Axel wants kids, wants the the home life with Julie, and Julie feels that she's not ready for it. She still wants to have her freedom and be able to live the, her, her life on her own terms without the, the, having a child that would tie her down. Which 
fair point, fair point. Not, not, no problem with that. But in the course of the film, uh, Julie gets pregnant. And there, for her, there now is a moment where what she has already expressed in the beginning, uh, in, in the beginning of the film, no longer can actually work for her. Like she can't be free and pregnant at the same time. Or she can't end up having the kid and still be free without the kid at the same time. It's a paradox. It does not work. So how does Julie react to this? Well, no way at all. It's a, when, when she broke up with Axel, it's a secret that she keeps for a short while from her next boyfriend, Avind, to whom she eventually tells that, yeah, I'm pre uh, pregnant and Avind is, okay, well, no biggie, not a problem at all. It's, it's, you're pregnant to your previous boyfriend. I accept that completely. And, when it comes to question of, well, does this have an effect on Julie's life? Well, no, not all. She doesn't even quit smoking, even though she is being pregnant. So, like, no effect. And then, at the very end, you would think that this would lead into Julie having to at least face the question, do I have an abortion or do I keep the child? Do I become a mother or do I, like keep my freedom but which one of these two is it and then staying true to the form of this movie well the life just works itself out you don't have to have for the answer to this question because well truly just miscarriages mm -hmm. goes to a shower and miscarriage just happens life works itself out you didn't have to solve anything you didn't have to think anything through you didn't have to take any responsibility at at no point of the story because, you know, magic happens and you just miscarriage. Yeah, you're right. So nothing has a consequence in the film. But could we accept the format of the film just as it is? That it's just a collection of events from a person's life. But then I, and then again, I would expect some kind of results from those events that are not directly correlated to each other necessarily. Uh, precisely, because in real life... Your life is not this carefree. Yeah. You are not consequence-free in your life. Like, in, in real life, if you get accidentally pregnant, it does not... Well, it can. There's a possibility that it will just sort itself out. But the possibilities for that are actually pretty dim. Yeah, it, in real life, that would be a huge deal for you. It would have to be something that you would have to somehow resolve. Take another example, uh, Julie being afloat in her life. Her constantly, you know, shifting from, from one field of study to the next. I'm a med student, I switch to, to psychology, I switch to photography, and her just switching from one job to another. That's also something that you can do in real life. And if you are afloat, yeah, happens to all of us. None of us has a great plan set, set for us. No, not, not a problem. You are not, not a failure if you, are, if you are afloat in life. And if you are someone who has to switch from, you know, from one, one school to the next or one job to the next, not a problem. But those are things that will have a cumulative effects to your life. They, they will affect how your life will shape out. 
you are not this carefree yeah. is what, what what i'm saying like if you if you switch from uh, photography to being someone who sells coffee to to a blog writer and then again once once more into a next job that will do have an effect like for example in real life your chances of getting jobs gets dimmer and dimmer or if you don't manage to finish any any education at all like truly does not because she drops all her schools at some point of, of, of the film well that will also affect your life it means that you are not like like officially qualified enough for certain jobs it's a limiting factor in your life it's okay if you don't manage to graduate but it's going to be a limiting factor in your life but the film kind of states that it's no biggie because once again the, the grace of God life whatever it is will just sort these things out for you and i was hoping that there would be a moment where well if not getting caught for being uh, with another guy in the middle of a relationship it would have been nice to see some something that she would take from that if not getting caught then learning from that but yeah as you said it's just she has no consequences coming from that and even seems a little indifferent at points to what she has done to these people well she hasn't really done anything to these people if we believe the film itself because all her boyfriends are like super accepting and super supportive of her when she breaks up with them yeah super rational yeah the, the only response that she gets from any of her boyfriends when the breakup happens is like you were the love of my life my this breaks my heart but i respect you as a modern free woman and if you feel that this is something you want to do you know break up with me i absolutely fully support you on your decision every guy in the film to a point where there is kind of the well as we mentioned already in, in the in the joke part there, there's the this time stop moment not done with cgi film when the, when the whole world kind of stops around julie it happens in her her mindscape in inside her head i took it but with that out of the way even in her own head the world literally stops around julie when she starts to think about Awind, just so that she can kind of even in her own mind she can be carefree to chase after another guy while she's being in relationship with Axel. Kind of. So it's it's not just that every man in Julie's life supports her misgivings. It's also that, well, Julie's entire mindscape, her entire psyche also supports Julie when she decides that, yeah, perhaps I'm going to cheat on my current boyfriend. Perhaps I'm going to break up with my boyfriend it's no biggie it's no biggie even for the character of julie herself which becomes painfully obvious or evident in in her breakup scene with axel which is kind of the, the most pivotal breakup scene that this movie has because axel once again is supposed to be like the main question guy do i love this dude is he right for me so when Julie breaks up with Axel, it's supposed to be like a really big deal in the film. Basically, all the complexities of a breakup with Axel in the film itself are being swept under the rock 
when Julie shifts her focus to think about how she just has been has compared herself to Bambi while she's thirty something. Like that's the the goddamn narrator, the god voice of the film cuts into in the middle of the breakup scene when actually is supposed to say something about how he feels. Just to shine a light about what is going through in through Julie's head during this breakup moment when she's supposed to like open her uh, heart and and tears are flowing from her eyes and like, it's supposed to be super emotional for for Julie the card voice cuts in and tells us what Julie is thinking and what is Julie thinking she's thinking that oh my god i'm 30 something and i have been i have just compared myself to bambi that, that's like the emotional stakes that we have with our main character and by the hospital bed the axel character even says to her that you are an amazing person which i really didn't feel that she was in any way what was the word anyway amazing wonderful great person great person probably and, and yeah uh, i mean yeah i think maybe that was a bit of a point making there that yeah you're not i don't know i on the other hand i took that well she is supposed to be amazing person because axel uses literally almost his last breath to tell julie how the only thing that axel would would regret in 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 his entire life up until this point when he when he finally dies is the possibility that he did not manage to tell julie how absolutely gosh darn amazing julie is that the only thing mm-hmm. that axel looks looks back on on his dying bed is did i manage to tell julie how absolutely amazing she is it's not did i manage to be a good brother did I manage to do something that that's important? Does does my art, since I'm a I'm a comic book artist guy, does it live after me? Is my legacy mirrored with you know my underground comic not being exactly on par with the modern sensibilities? It kind of being perhaps a bit toxic, bit, perhaps a bit woman hating. Did I set up wrong societal values and expectations and models through my art? None of these questions are in Axel's mind when when he's dying. On he, no, that the final question: Did I manage to tell Julie how absolutely amazing she is? And my biggest regret in in my whole life would be if I just failed on doing that one thing. Favorite performance? I will give you Renate Reinsve. Yeah, I give it Renate as well. There were, like I, like I said, there were a lot of good performances here, but I do think that Renate perhaps is the one who broke out the most from the cast. Yeah, uh, in, in particular, if I want to highlight something, there's a scene when she she's with Axel at an event where... Axel is, I, I, I believe, showing off his newest comic book, something like this, where it's like a art gallery thing about his comic book art. And and Julie is like, okay, I think I'm going to go out for the night. I've had enough. I will go home. And she walks and she's going down this hill and she's just looking uh, all over the place. And there's a great performance there in her eyes when you can just tell what she is thinking completely. She's kind of happy, but also a bit unhappy and feels a bit living vicariously and is not able to, I guess, 
be on her own, be do her own thing, whatever the case. But she performs greatly. What resonated with you the most or the least? From my end, it's the least. And it's all the social bullshit that the film has. Well, I can think of what resonated with me the least was when Axel was sick and she visited. They were in tears talking outside. And I just felt that, yeah, there's no consequence. But if something good, yeah, the performances alone, they felt real. But in one adjective, how would you describe the film? Mine would be aimless. Because Julie is aimless, and I do think that the film too, it's it's not completely, but it is partly aimless. I would say nasty. It's a bit nasty. I I, I do expect that in, in the longies, I, I hear more about the nastiness of the film. Just an inconsequence way of the film. It's just leaving it at that okay. and cheating on your boyfriend. Favorite quote, if any. <laughs> From this film. <laughs> oh. Nothing. No. Mm. no. Uh, you, you can you can try if you manage to find some really great quotes. Yeah, I like this one quite a lot actually. But then again, hmm, maybe just didn't kind of hit enough in the end. So it's uh, I grew up in a in an age without internet and mobile phones. No, but honestly, I sound like an old fart. But I think about it a lot. The world that I knew has disappeared. For me, it was all about going to stores, record stores. I'd take the tram to Voices in Grüne Lokka, leave through used comics and at pretty price. I can close my eyes and see the aisles at Video Nova in something majors too. I grew up in a time when culture was passed along through objects. They were interesting because we could live among them. We could pick them up, hold them in our hands, compare them. That's all I have. I spent my life doing that, collecting all that stuff, comics, books, and I just continued, even when it stopped giving me the powerful emotions I felt in my 20s. I continued anyway, and now it's all I have. Knowledge and memories of stupid, futile things nobody cares about. And now I have nothing else. I have no future. I can only look back. End quote. Do you think the film has staying power legacy? Will anyone remember this in 20 years? Well, the film is... The final part in the director's trilogy. Thematic trilogy, which wasn't supposed to be, but it just happened. Yep. So as a as a closing chapter of a trilogy, yeah, it, it this one will have some. And I do think that there's enough hype around it now that it will end up having some legacy. I mostly I do believe that the legacy will be as the director made the this trilogy and these are the films that belong into it and then the worst person will be screened whenever somebody watches the entire trilogy does it have like this this huge enormous societal legacy i don't think so yeah yeah i don't think so i there's been a lot of great nordic films and even though this might win some prizes i feel that it's just gonna be forgotten but yeah, we didn't mention that this film has been nominated for the best screenplay as well as the best international. And it just might take the best screenplay, even if I might not agree with that completely. Well, thanks to the, all, the, all the social stuff, the social political stuff, I do think that it is a possibility. Complete the sentence. You really know you're watching the worst person in the world when... When the height of your selfishness 
is you tripping balls. <laughs> Wanna explain? So basically, in in a film we have a whole chapter named uh, Julie's Narcissistic Circus. Yeah. Which you think that since we know of mentioning that this is Julie's narcissism, we are really getting into finally some some really heavy, deep and heavy character stuff. Ooh. It's all now. It only took the film for one hour and 15 minutes to get to this point, but certainly now, yeah, we are dealing with nar- main character's narcissism, so most definitely it's all now. And what happens in the chapter is well, this is the moment when Julie takes, takes the shrooms and her entire narcissistic circus is her shroom trip. So Julie's tripping balls and she's also tripping balls because this is kind of the main moment after which Julie starts to to have the feeling that Avind is not the right for her. Yeah, it's true. You really know you're watching the worst person in the world when you don't know what you had until you've lost it, such as your sunglasses. And two hours of time. <laughs> but did you like the film? It was perfectly okay. Uh, it wasn't the worst movie in the world. No. Like I said, uh, I disliked Hand of God more. <laughs> but was I like blown away by this movie? No. But... No, it was it, absolutely but, meh. But, and now I've seen it. But, 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 but was really artistic yeah it's it's like one of the five best films to come out this year worldwide yeah no questions asked yeah which actually presents the question exactly how shit is the rest the cinema of the rest of the world would you watch this film again no i might i might (laughs) the the cinematography is not that that magnificent like Mm. it, it does have some good cinematography but it's not so breathtaking it's not so inventive that it really merits to watch this film the second time. Yeah, it's more about the locations, isn't it? And the colors. Yeah, yeah I, I, can, I can get colors and locations from other movies as well. Yeah, so not, not so much about... Okay, I don't want to bash the, the cinematography. Great job, but would you, would you recommend the worst person in the world, Henrik? No. I've voiced out my grievances when it comes to the main character and when it comes to the the whole thing how how nothing matters in in this film. The, the Americans have have this subgenre called the slacker movies, where the idea is that you have the slacker who is some type of a societal misfit, someone who does not completely like fall in line with the societal's expectations. Usually, end up in, uh, de- like stuck in some dead end job, smokes weed, just listens to indie music. Well, we we all know the the slacker archetype. Mm. And to me, the worst person in the world is a spiritual slacker movie because truly, very much is exactly that character minus the the weed weed smoking. She just smokes uh, regular cigarettes. But where the slacker movies usually have the come up in scene, like let's use, for example, Kevin Smith's Clerks as an example, uh, has two characters who mostly throughout the movie just kind of are going through life, aimlessly drifting. But there are a couple of moments where 
trappings of the slacker genre kind of show up. The first one is in the funeral scene where one of the uh, the duo completely fucks it up. Was it Randall, if I remember correctly? Causes a havoc. Accidentally makes the, the casket collapse. And they have to escape from the funeral with their, with their reputations ruined and their lives barely intact. Later in the film, there is like the culmination scene that you usually have in slacker movies, which is the moment when some character in the in the slacker's closed personal circles calls the slacker out on his bullshit. Happens in Clerks. The worst person in the world never has that moment. And on top of that, like I mentioned quickly in the Chokey Chokes part, this is very much a film that wants to, to present itself as a film for the modern audiences. Like the modern youth audiences. 30-something moviegoers. And it goes after this goal with extremely heavy societal topicism. You have you have all the societal topics. Like we, we mentioned the the man's playing woman's playing. There's the there's the tampoon. There's the whole point like how menstrual bleeding, for example, is a taboo in movies and it shouldn't be. And then it actually never does anything with these questions. Like. Where does where does the whole menstrual bleeding thing eventually culminate in the film? Well, during the shroom trip, Julie pulls out her bloody tampoon and shows it to camera. Nothing comes out of it. There's the the question of of freedom of spe- speech where, where versus artistic freedom, which eventually boils down into well the most caricaturistic presentation of both viewpoints. You have the comic book artist Axel who who yells how he's be how people are trying to silence him in the modern society and how as an artist he should have the absolute freedom of speech, and then you know cause the radio interviewer a whore in in live broadcast, and on the other side you have the radio interviewer who once again raises the the whole point that we are not trying to in any way, you know, limit your freedom of speech, even though that kind of is precisely what you are doing. Mm-hmm. And nothing comes out of that. Like, that's... The, the handling of this, uh, the, those topics, it stays on this level. It's extremely surface level observations that the film makes. And on top of that, it's even somewhat like late observations that the film makes. Like, you and I, we, we watched the latest James Bond film. Mm. And when when we you were preparing for to see No Time to Die, did you actually notice that people were trying to make a huge ruckus about this tampoon gate surrounding the the movie? Yeah, yeah, we discussed yeah. it and never happened. Yeah. So here's a you know a mind blowing observation from the worst person of the world. Have you actually noticed that movies never show tampoons? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I have. We yeah. we did so brings it up as some type of a clever, deep observation about pop culture and media culture. And you are just waiting that, well, what you are going to then say about this whole tampoon thing. And then the film just shows you that, well, here's a bloody tampoon. We are not afraid to actually break this taboo. Look, here it is. And you in the audience, you are just looking at, okay, it's a bloody tampoon, so what? Mm. Anyone anyone who has actually given an oral sex to a woman has actually seen something way worse than bloody tampoon. So 
what's the huge point? For two hours, I was not expecting just that there would be some comeuppance or some emotional growth, emotional responsibility that Julie would have to have to take upon herself. But I was also waiting that some of these societal topics, any one of these, would somehow play play up into a deeper conversation. Yeah. And none of it ever does. If anything in favor of that, that TV interview kind of gives me at least the idea that, ah, so Axel is now pissed off in the radio interview, not because of what's being said about his, his comics, but because he has broken up, she has broken up with him. And it's a problem that needs to be fixed. But instead, the movie surprises us and tells us that Axel actually has cancer. That's that's why he's so pissed off. Or that's how I read it. So that was a kind of a surprise twist to me. But then again, not really not useful. Because I was hoping that it would bring them together somehow. Kind of does, kind of doesn't. And from there, I, I think that we kind of can land on the responsibilities that, that films kind of have. And I do feel that the worst person in the world is somewhat irres- irresponsible in basically the worldview that it presents. And I don't say this because I disagree with the with worst person's worldview. Like, it very much wants to be... And say that it's okay to be adrift in your life. It's very okay to, you know, drop your studies if you start to feel that this is not your field. It's very okay to, you know, change your job, change your boyfriend. You don't have to, like, you are free to push against the societal expectations where you get the degree and then you go to the job and then you get meet someone and then you form, you know, the nuclear family and you become a mother, etc., etc., etc. It's honestly, honestly, it's okay to be against all of that. But take something from it. And I'm not saying that make the nuclear family, but don't make the same stuff again, right? Yeah, precisely. Because the film strongly voices it out that there are no consequences to any of these decisions that you make. Like in that vein, this is very close to to Christian cinema. You you have these stories that there's the main character and shit happens to them. They, they lose their job and their house burns down and, you know, their significant other has is diagnosed with leukemia or, you know, what have you. Everything goes wrong, but the main character keeps his faith and keeps on praying. And at the end of a film, the grace of God just ascends upon the main character and fixes everything. And... That's kind of what happens in in world person in the in the world also minus the god. It's the grace of the script or the grace of female empowerment or grace of I don't know going against societal taboos that ascends upon Julia and just fixes everything. Is she happy that she started that her blog post started the the discussion? Is she disappointed? Does she feel that her points are being weaponized? You know to serve some some viewpoint, some side on the debate. Is she targeted by online trolls? Who the fuck knows? Because the film never actually shows you anything of the sort. Everything works out constantly for Julie. She's been congratulated for absolutely everything. And that's where I do feel that it's a bit irresponsible. Like, 
people need to hear that lesson that they are not broken or or bad people because they don't know what you, they want to do in life or because they don't want to settle down and have kids and have a family it's all okay but all of those have consequences but what I, what i learned from the movie is that okay life goes on as it is she's a photographer and other people around her get married yeah i i, I learned yeah. that it's okay that you don't have a degree on anything you can just land a job on film you know simply because you took one course in photography or you can just set up a film podcast and not have a degree just start it well you do have a degree oh so fuck oh, you know shit. you are more qualified than the main character of the film <laughs> uh, why why aren't you film you know working on film then yeah i just didn't connect with that world enough at the time And I just went my own separate way. Also kind of adrift in life. Yeah. And that's okay. That's absolutely okay. But that has had consequences. Now, hasn't it? That's a, such of a good question. It has had consequences. It has had consequences. Have I learned something from those consequences? Yeah. I think I've become a better person. Which I didn't see in this film happening. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're right. It's still adrift, but I feel like I'm go going more and more to the right direction. Even the life goal can be just to be adrift, not have particular goals, but learn something. Would I recommend the film? I actually would, because I'm so interested to know what other people have to say about this film. Please come to our Facebook pages and tell me, why did you like this film? And what did you think about the ending? Who is Julie today? I, I, I do believe that basically everybody else will absolutely love the film and feel that it's the, the most important film to come out the year 2021 people absolutely love this film it's, it's that year's best romantic movie it's that year's best comedic movie most likely also the best film all together man's planning woman's planning me too it has all these 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 words that we feel that, that or that are societally important today Even though the movie does not do anything with those words, but it does say the words. And I do think that that's perhaps what the people mostly connect when they watch this film. That's the reason why I do think that this actually got nominated for Best Foreign. Not because this is some kind of a, you know, groundbreaking cinematic achievement. I actually liked cinematography more in, for example, Drive My Car. Also in, in you know, Lunana, mm -hmm. I, I thought had, had more interesting cinematography. I do think that it got nominated because it has, it has capable cinematography. It has pretty damn good direction. Yeah, it has strong performances. And especially because it says a lot of words that are words used in today's societal discussion. Did I like the film? I didn't really respond to that. Uh, I... I did like the film, and I didn't like the film. It's kind of like the when the character herself says that I love you, but I also don't, and that kind of sums it up for me. But to get to the real questions, the tricky questions here, now we can rank and say which one should win the Oscar if we could decide this to be on the board of Steven Spielberg and company. Henrik, flee. The Hand of God, the worst person in the world, Lunana, Yak in the classroom, and Drive My Car. How to sort these? I was actually afraid of this question because I'm not 100% certain mm -hmm. what should be the correct order. I, I knew my two least favorites. Number one is The Hand of God, 
and the second one is the worst person in the world. Okay. After that, when it comes to the rest three of the film, fil- films, Lunana, Flea, and Drive My Car, well, that's a tough competition, really. It is. Um, I perhaps would put Lunana in place three. Okay. And then, you know, it would be... Like, this is... It's, it's a really hard competition. Mm. Uh, there's a question between Drive My Car and Flea. Which one should win the best foreign? Uh, perhaps Flea. And the reason for that is because it takes a stance on the immigration question and it tells a story about exactly how dangerous and risky it is to, to make the trip as an immigrant. Like Lunana Drive and Flea, they're all really strong films. Absolutely like them. And it's it's really hard to say like which movie is better. Like is is Flea better than Lunana? Is Drive My Car is is it better film than all, all the rest? Really hard to say, but well it, it it goes to the the societal themes and societal signaling of Flea. I perhaps would give give the Oscar to Flea because that was a story about a real thing and the rest of the movies are films about a fictional things. Just because it's fiction? Yeah. Wow. At the at the end of the day, because Flea is the most non-fiction film of the list, I would give best foreign to it to Flea. Because goddamn, I I don't know how else, you know, Choose the winner here. Well, in a way, or choose the number one because I do love like the cinematography in in Drive and Yuck and and I love it in Flea. In a way, Flea is the most important. You're not kind of wrong with that. <sighs> yeah, it's really hard to rank these. So different pictures, so many different angles. Um, I'm still gonna keep worst person. Maybe surprisingly, at at the last slot. That's the fifth movie. Still, then I'm gonna put there Drive My Car as I kind of... Pretty, pretty, pretty low for a drive. I'm not entirely surprised. It's pretty low. Yeah, it, it is a bit brutal, but like I said, it's super hard to rank this. Uh, but Drive My Car, I had my gripes about the emotional development and the character interactions. And, but The Hand of God... I also have more and more gripes towards the film as time goes on. Hannu Björkbakka truly, when he responded to <laughs> our, our episode, yeah. gave that 20-tweet <laughs> post about it on his views. I can like 125% see where he's coming from. I understand it completely. But on the other hand, I felt very strongly that it was also depicting the time period, the thoughts of the people at the time. I felt that it was also pretentious. I felt that it was too self-congratulatory, too self-indulged, and the characters together didn't really click it. It, it was also a very random occurrence film, and a lot of it could have been stronger and less sexual, and I guess less from the male perspective, and, and giving us such an easy way to read it as male fantasy more than some kind of a history of the director. Also, the the story that I read to it was something that resonated to a degree. So let's just keep it at the number three pers- uh, position. And then the second one, it's a battle between Flea and Yak, isn't it? 
Uh, still in terms of originality, what if I just put Lunana at the top position? I'll, I'll just do, do it there. And I think Academy would be happy with that. Because, because it's a movie that is coming from this small country of Bhutan. And uh, it's going to be a story of... It's going to be an American wonder story if they're going to pick this one. Small country of Bhutan is going to get all this exposure. And now all the filmmakers want to go to Bhutan to make films and bring money to the country. And hooray, Bhutan. It has that. Flee, as we've said, said it before, it has the refugee crisis, which goes perfectly with the, the Ukraine crisis right now, Ukraine war. So most likely, if I had to guess, the Academy is going to pick Flea because of politics. And uh, the Hand of God, no, they won't. Drive my car. They might as well, because it already won a hell of a lot of prizes. Worst person in the world. It could also be that, heck. But due to politics, I'm going to go with Flea and personally going to go with Lunana. Great cinematography, great idea, and very, 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 very real performances. Yeah, I guess that was one of this year's best foreign category summed up. The least interesting category of the film Oscars. <laughs> not, not because, not because you know that the movies would wouldn't be good, or because the movies themselves wouldn't be interesting, but simply because Oscars themselves are not interesting. At least if you like look at the categories. If you want to talk about Oscars, the interesting discussions is about basically in in everything that is wrong with Oscars. But that's a discussion that you can't have with Best Foreign because it's like the most safest place for the the academy to share their reward, uh, the the prizes and the Oscars. Yeah. Well, those were our, our thoughts on the the rankings. I suppose we are gonna connect. Like a quick talk about the, the Oscars after they actually happen and see what they actually picked there. Yeah, we'll see if we actually do that. Which films did you like, dear listener? Come and tell us on our social media pages, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn. And uh, you can also find us on Library if you are uh, watching your videos via that service instead. And yep, next week or the next time we are here in the in Fortnite. I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but most likely it will, it will be movies, as per usual. Or then we switch to comic books. No, yeah, well, we've been talking about movies for kind of quite a while. Where do you want to take it next? Ukraine war? I, I don't know. Baseball player cards would be our next, next venue. Now that we have been talking about movies almost three years. Or books. One book per fortnight. Oh god, that's that's too much work at the moment. <laughs> hundreds upon hundreds of pages of reading. Our theme music was done by Nick Rivell. I'm Kari Oela, you're Henrik Telki, I believe. And that's the show for today. Bye 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 bye. Tota, kuinka tyhmäksi me halutaan vetää tää? <köhö> mä en varautua tähän sarkasmiin, joka sulta tulee. Kuinka syvälle me halutaan, halutaan nojata tässä? Kuinka pitkälle me halutaan jatkaa tätä källiä? Ehkä kuikin se asti sitten ehkä voisi vaihtaa. <köhö> <köhö> Viimeistä. But Henrik, I'm really serious about this. About what? Like, like, now, now, now you are losing me with your sar- sarcasm, man.